It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rulebook, to explore smarter ways to work and rediscover what's possible. Time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. Welcome to The Big Rethink. Today's episode is about theme parks, technology, and a little bit of history that started with baby boomers and the advent of personal air travel. Our guest, Jim Hill, creator of Jim Hill Media, journalist, podcaster, and theme park guru, all of which started nearly 35 years ago. Jim, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Barry. Appreciate the invite. So a quick disclaimer before we get started. Always makes me feel better, Jim. Uh, For our listeners, all opinions represented in this podcast are personal and do not represent the views or opinions of any corporation or business. Our listeners should absolutely discount my personal theme park experience, which was solely based on Action Park, New Jersey in the 1980s. Wow. Okay. And I know. that you're, you li- you're here today. You know, <laughs> wow, that's impressive. So. There it is, Jim. That's, uh, that says it all. And so, so let's start. Uh, you know, one of the things I find fascinating about you, you know, is, is the beginning. And so is it accurate to say your career, your interest with theme parks started with a Marine base commander? Well, yeah, I, you know, that, that I, I was in the service back in 83 to 87. I actually got my formal journalism training at Fort Leonard, Missouri. Um, anyway, in 84, Walt Disney Productions stages this year-long uh, celebration of, of Donald Duck's 50th birthday. And and at this point, I'm already known as this giant Disney nerd in military circles. Uh, And one day, I get this call clear out of the blue from Lieutenant General Arthur E. Brown. Uh, He's one of these Army officers who just loves publicity, who just is always looking for ways to get, you know, his his picture in the paper. Um, Anyway, General Brown uh, says to me, you've heard about this thing Disney's doing with Donald Duck? And it's like, yes, sir. They're celebrating the 50th anniversary of creation of the character. And it's like, so his next question is, didn't Disney produce some cartoons during World War II where Donald Duck was a soldier? And I'm like, well, yeah, there was Donald Gets Drafted back in May of 42, followed by Fall In, Fall Out that showed Donald in basic training. That was in 43. And then finally, there was a Commando Duck cartoon that was done in June of 44. And then the general asked the crucial question. And it's like, did Disney ever make a cartoon where Donald was discharged from the Army? And I'm like, well... I don't know, but I know who to call. And that's the official Disney archivist, Dave Smith. Um, I call him from my base in uh, Fort Devens, Massachusetts, and he picks up the phone in Burbank, California. And to his credit, David doesn't hang up. You know, he actually goes through the files at Disney. And, you know, he, he calls me, you know, and that's like a day or two later because he really actually looked. And he's like, well, no, you know, I've looked. There's no, you know, there's no cartoon. There's no comic book. There's no storybook. You know, or, you know, Donald, in theory, is still in the Army. And, <laughs> and so I tell General Brown, uh, uh, you know, uh, Brown this. And he immediately reaches out to the Walt Disney Company on his own and offers them, you know, th- this huge publicity site where basically 
he will if they bring Donald to you know to his base, um, he will stage a full military retirement ceremony. And we're talking fifteen hundred troops passing review, a military band. Wow! And, and Disney, of course, buys it. You know they 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 go to the costume department at Disneyland and pull out every duck related costume. I mean Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and and wow. you know Scrooge McDuck and Ludwig von Drake, and then they put cat you know. Uh, cast members in these costumes, throw them in a car. They drive down from Anaheim to Torrance, California, where they they do this on Armed Forces Day. They have this huge parade. They have this elaborate ceremony. And, you know, and who's there to personally, you know, hand Donald Duck his retirement certificate, but Lieutenant General Arthur E. Brown. Um, wow. Anyway, long story short, uh He's thrilled because he gets his picture, you know, in the paper. Uh, the Disney company is thrilled because they get, you know, and, and again, Barry, if you think about your tax dollar at work here, 1,500 troops, <laughs> military band, you know, I mean, you know, they, they, but Disney's thrilled that they got all of this, you know, publicity for free. And I luck out because the story I write about this thing gets grabbed by the AP wire service, goes worldwide. And that's wow. what basically kicks off my career of writing about the Walt Disney Company. But it's interesting. If it wasn't for you, Donald Duck would still be in the military. <laughs> is that is that fair? Forty three years he was supposedly <laughs> in active duty. Yes, the the poor you know, the poor duck now can finally go. But mind you, they were they did promote him before they released him. He was you know, in fact that's the weirdest part of the story is. You know, they, 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 there's an actual certificate of, you know, Donald got promoted from private to Buck Sergeant, as in Buck Duck. So it's just uh, oh, God. it's a weird story. Well, I, I think uh, Donald Duck owes you something. I, you know, I, I like how you started. I mean, it seems a, a bit of luck, mm, but absolutely. a lot of maybe expertise is based on, you know, your journalism background. But let's flash forward mm -hmm. a little bit because, you know, talking about, again, my experience, mm -hmm. which is <laughs> limited uh, so during the 1970s and 80s, from what I remember, which is not mm -hmm. a lot, you know, back in the day, I remember the typical, you know, theme park visitors interaction with tech, high tech, was a traditional ride, you know, uh, you know, simple animatronics, you know, big screen projectors. Is that a fair description? Is that accurate? Am I remembering no, correctly? Absolutely. I mean, you know, mind you, what's so funny is if, you know, if you know you're Michael Crichton, you know, I mean, you know, again, the guy behind right. Jurassic Park, but he he wrote, in fact, the, the the novel, what was it, Westworld, where the idea was that you know supposedly the, these not terribly sophisticated animatronics would would come to life and gun us down. So yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's the thing. Back in the day, this was the height of sophistication. But but again, remember, this was also the era where you know as we drove home, we put the eight track you know carts in our in our stereo. <laughs> right. and it's like, ooh, I got quadrophonic sound, you know, so. You know, I probably think from what, you know, again, you know, what I can remember is that even with an 8-track, you know, that was pretty cool, even though I couldn't, you know, touch it. It was my dad driving. But, you know, it, now we flash forward, you know, to today. And I was trying to bone up on, you know, some of the technology and the verbiage and the acronyms that are being used. And, you know, none of the stuff sounds familiar. So I'm going to repeat this back to you. So now I hear terms like XP projection mapping, dark rides, you know, when we talk about theme park audio and visual experiences. So how are these technologies 
you know, essentially changing the visitor experience. Well, I, you know, the, the weird thing is, if, you, if we're talking about projection mapping, uh, that actually started at the Disney theme parks uh, in January of 2011. They they created wow. a show called The Magic, The Memories, and You. And the thing was that they created, what they did is that they went in at night and they, they spent weeks mapping the exterior of Cinderella Castle and created basically 270 degrees of projection space. And people would stand in the hub and watch this going on, you know, and, you know, what was kind of interesting about the early iteration of the show is that the folks who were in the park who were, you know, who would take your souvenir picture, uh, they in turn would upload the files to the folks who were doing the show each night, and they would insert about 100 photographs of actual guests in the park in the show. So, so wow. you know, and but again, think about it in real time. It's like, you know, you, you know, you were standing on Main Street as you came in, somebody took your photo and, you know, get her 10 hours later, you stand in front of the castle and, oh my God, that's us. Um, now, to be clear here, one of the reasons that Disney did this and launched the show in January of 2011 is just down the road on, on in six months earlier, uh, you know, June 2010, Universal had opened the very first Wizarding World of Harry Potter. And to be honest, that that wow. actually kicked off a theme park arms race, because up until then, Disney was feeling pretty confident about, you know, we're the number one dog in this market, especially Orlando. And suddenly, you know, here, but again, Disney, you know, Disney magic, you know, they're, they're, we're the magic kingdom. And it's like, wait a minute, just down the street at Universal, they literally have magic. They have Harry Potter. It's like, it's okay. <laughs> time to step up literally. our game. I think that's great. I mean, because you're talking about in, in marketing and what we do is competitive differentiation. And Disney kind of taking the approach like we need this technology as well. And that's not something, you know, again, I think about when I think about theme parks and all these platforms that people are in companies are using now. And, and it makes total sense. So in technology aside, I mean, that, that segues to kind of the next question. I mean, the technology is great and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, we talked about a little bit about you know, the need for this immersive storytelling, right? These experiences that drive tech investment. So, so. What is driving this? Is this the strategy behind you know this immersive storytelling, right? You just don't purchase these platforms as technology out of the blue, no, right? No, no. But but again, what's interesting is that you know, for example, Disney had this program that they launched. Um, I want to say uh, back in what is it? Uh, Two thousand three. They had a thing called the Living Character Initiative. And, uh, and in fact, you know, if you want to see something fascinating, uh, go Google uh, Lucky the Dinosaur. Um, and what you'll see is they actually built uh, an animatronic dinosaur that would walk through the park with a handler. But he he would be dragging this cart, but he would interact with guests. He would, you know, like grab your baseball cap or he would follow your vision. I mean, it was it was stunning technology. And, you know, and what was kind of cool about it is the mechanism that powered the thing was hidden in plain sight. It was the cart that Lucky was dragging. Um, but what Disney learned the hard way was that people were like, wow, cool, that, you know, that's a walking dinosaur. But it's like, but it's not a character I know. 
you know, and it's just like I come to the Disney parks to see characters that I know. And so Disney then had to turn around uh, the next iteration of this program, February of 2007, was the Muppet Mobile Labs. And this was literally a ride vehicle where it was Dr. Bunsen Honeydew and his assistant Beaker. And, you know, they would roll out and chat with guests and interact with them. But then... But then it's just, it's one of these things where it makes you a little crazy. It's like, oh yeah, the Muppets, those characters that used to be popular. And it's like, okay, all right, all right, wait, wait. All right. That's 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 the thing. So, well, here's the next iteration. Uh, it's Wally from the, uh, the, the Pixar hit from the summer of 2008 and the fall. Here's a, you know, a a, literally a full sized Wally figure that's rolling through the parks. And initially, everybody's thrilled because, like, I know that guy. I saw that movie. I want to go get my picture taken with him. And suddenly, the Disney <laughs> the Disney attorneys show up, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. How much does that thing weigh? Oh, it's over four. Yeah, it weighs over 400 pounds. It's like, so if it rolls over a child's wow. foot, it would crush it. It's like, well, yes. It's like, okay, take that thing out of the park. You know, and I, the very last thing that they did with the Living Character Initiative was uh, they actually created a, like a six-inch tall version of Remy the Rat from Ratatouille. Uh and they would roll him around the, the Chef de France restaurant over at Epcot, you know, on a little tray because it's like, OK, so he's tiny. He can't crush anybody. You know, it's, you know, he, he won't pull a Westworld and, you know, and attack somebody. But but, uh, you know, they but again, it, it became Disney was at this odd corner of we want to use technology. You know, but we want to also leverage what we have over our competition, and that's our characters. You know, but but how do you do that? How do you marry tech to characters? But I, there's also something other interesting that you just said, which I, you know, again, I'm impressed with. This. There's a learning curve there, right? Where they first started with, you know, a no-name character like a dinosaur, and then quickly morphed to, got it, let's do something with an actual character, and then on to Wally, and you know that, you know. I get it. You know, it's just the, the question is, is it, is it quick learning? Is it a quick, is it a quick well, curve, no, right? Well, no, there's actually with Disney. Um, oh, God. You know, that they have been trying in regards to bringing interactive experiences, you know, the immersive storytelling you were mentioning, into the parks. Jeez, uh, as far back as 2001, uh, they had a program uh, then called the, uh, what is it, Magical Moments. And the, the, the thing of Magical Moments is it was uh, a, a plastic pin that was like three inches tall, two inches wide, maybe a half an inch thick. And you'd, you'd you know, pin it to your clothes. And the thing is, it fed off of this, this series of uh, infrared emitters that Disney put in the parks. And so, you know, for example, if you were on the Haunted Mansion, when you got to the scene in the attic with the with the bride, the pin would suddenly start beating in time with the bride's heart. Um, or if you were riding Small World and you got to the finale of the ride and they have those faux fireworks that are going off over your head, the, the, with the, the, uh, the LEDs, they were five of them, uh, red, green, blue, yellow, and white, uh, they'd start exploding as if they were fireworks as well. Uh, but but again, it was one of these things where it's but it's a it's a three by two by one and a half inch piece of plastic that somebody is wearing while they're in Florida when it's twelve billion degrees and you know one hundred percent humidity, and it was like no that, that I don't want to buy that. Um, but they took what they learned from putting those uh, you know that technology in the parks, and it's like okay, so they don't want that, but they are interested in characters. 
So uh, they started with an idea where it was basically the genie from Aladdin as a backpack. And he would, you know, the, it had a, a, a mouth and eyes and it would, you know, the idea is you'd carry it, but the other members of your family would be able to see it talk. And, you know, it would, would, would you know, chat with you while you're moving through the park. But in the end, it's like, well, wait a minute. The person who's actually wearing it doesn't get to experience this. So it's like, well, yeah. And it's like, all right, that's not going to work. Um, so they then decide they're going to do, um, it, it's called Pal Mickey. Um, and this rolls out in the parks in 2003. And it's a 10 and a half inch uh, uh, tall piece of plush. But it's got um, this ridiculously sophisticated technology inside of it. Uh, first of all, it's got a two and a half inch speaker uh, in, embedded in it and technology that will allow it. I mean, thanks to 400 uh, infrared emitters that have been played, 400 in each wow. of the four theme parks. Um, but it was, I mean, it was ridiculously sophisticated for the time that this, this plush would say over 700 things. And, um, it, wow. and the thing is, it, because of the, the, the infrared effect, you'll love this, Barry. The way the infrared signal came in through was through, they did a hard plastic over Mickey's nose, but the emitter was, you know, or the, the signal receiver was right there, again, on Mickey's face. Um, but anyway, what it could do, it would, it could triangulate to exactly where you were in the park. And it could say, for example, hey, I know that Cinderella right now is, you know, is receiving guests at, you know, Mickey's Toontown Fair. Or, hey, there's a short line for Space Mountain right now. Or in a half hour, the parade will start. I mean, it was, a, you know, in real time, it gave you updates about what's going on in the park. Um, but here's the thing. It's they, they modeled it after um, the standard piece of plushes that they sell in the theme parks. Um, but again, you know, it, it's it's. It's got that two and a half inch speaker, and it, but in order for it to make it easy for guests to deal with, they have it so it hangs off a clip that's on your hip, and so when Mickey had something to say, it would vibrate, and so you'd then have to take it up the clip and then lift it up to your face to listen to what Mickey said, oh. and see you. <laughs> You get it immediately. It's again. It's Florida. It's yeah. hot. You're sweaty. All right. And by the end of the day, when you finish picking up Mickey, you know that many times to your face to <laughs> to hear the latest bit of trivia or the latest bit of info, he's getting pretty rank. All right. But yeah. and now you can't wash him because he's filled with all of this state of the art technology. So you know, for the for the rest of the vacation, you you begin to hold Mickey further and further away from your face. <laughs> I uh, I totally understand that use case, and you know, probably in some boardroom that uh, some product manager thought that made a lot of sense. Maybe the hygiene wasn't there, but you know, look, they, they get points for innovation. They do, they do. And, but but you yeah, na you nailed I, it. You see, the problem is, it's one thing to design something like that and to have it work in the boardroom. It's quite another thing, uh, you know. For example, to have that work in the real park. In fact, uh, they they actually did an update of Pal Mickey that that you know they put out uh, just two years later. And, you know, the, in this one, they actually put in a bigger speaker and, you know, louder with the hope, okay, they don't have to hold Mickey right up to their face. Um, but by then the ship had sailed, you know, that, that you know, uh, kind of, uh, there had been enough people who had tried it, you know, gone, eh, I'm, I'm not interested. That uh, eventually by, uh, I want to say it's 2006, they, 
they they announced that they're discontinuing it. They'll stop making them. And in fact, they actually shut down the park, uh, the tech in the park that supported it in 2014. But um, it was pretty amazing at the time. That last use case, uh, you know, the plush animal and the use of, you know, a speaker, I think you hit the nail on the head because that, that's a trend, right? And someone thought of it as like, look, you know, what kind of platform and technology can we use to be more engaging? So one of the things I want to ask you about is kind of moving a little bit away from the technology and talking about, you know, trends. So I, I personally think, you know, trends repeat themselves, especially in technology. And so if you believe the research, right, a large percentage of millennials want immersive experiences more than, let's say, buying tangible goods, right? Do you think that includes theme parks? And if so, right, if you believe that first part of the question, is that any different than, you know, from the 1950s and being a park or a theme park owner? Well, I, you know, the, the weird part is that, if we're talking in the 1950s, you know, that the, the, you know, we're talking about Disneyland, you only had to make one guy happy at that park, and that was Walt. All right. I mean, this was, and you know, in fact, if you're completely honest here, remember, Walt was the crazy guy who built the miniature, you know, railroad in his backyard. And you know, in fact, you can see the pictures of him in the late 40s and early 50s running his kids around through the flower beds and that sort of thing. So if you take the 30,000 foot view, Disneyland, the park, is basically Walt's miniature train set in his backyard, writ large, you know. Um, and and in turn, um, Walt, you know, that when he was making, you know, in the especially those ten years between when the park opened in July of '55 to when we lost Walt in December of '66. Again, there was just one guy you had to keep happy. But Walt was this keen observer of the way people. You know, this again, what's fascinating, again, tech people deal with this all the time. There's the things that people tell you they want, and then there's the ways they actually use technology. You know, I mean, for example, when Walt was building Disneyland, you know, and, and that first couple of years when it was opening, he watched, you know, for example, when the park would open for the day and people would come to the, the, the door and he could literally watch them stand in town square and do the same dance over and over and over again. You know, they, people would walk in and go, geez, that was more expensive to get in here than I thought. I, I need to get some more money or, oh, my God, this Southern California sun is so hot. You know, I need a hat or, oh, man, I need more film for the camera. And so because 90 percent of the, the world's population is right handed. What does Walt have them do? He puts the bank on the right. He puts the hat shop on the right. He puts the you know the the you know the 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 the, the camera store on the right. So they're all you know like oh there it is. I will go in and buy this. Um, conversely, you know on you know that that and again the, the brilliance of Walt Disney. Um, you know so you know it's the end of the day. You've had a good time at Disneyland. Then you're like hey I'd like to get a souvenir. What's the last virtually the last thing you see before the exit? The Emporium their big souvenir store. And now, because you're, you know, you're headed out of the park, you know, the Emporium, which is on your left as you go in, it's now on your right. Hey, and I'm right-handed, and I look, and I go, and I buy. Um, and, and that's the thing. They, you know, so, but if that's easy to do when you can actually watch people do things, um, it then gets tricky, for example, when suddenly... I don't need a physical bank anymore. I go to the ATM or I don't need, a, you know, to go to the camera store for film. I have my digital camera or I'm using my phone to take my pictures. You know, I mean, how do you handle that when, you know, suddenly you're in this space where 
technology is changing, but you again, but it changes so quickly, you don't really have the data to make good decisions. I think that's part of my next question, and you know, I wonder what Walt would think about you know people walking around with their mobile devices now, right? Because you know, thinking about mobile devices, which is you know Panasonic's bread and butter for the most part, and wireless, you know, now every visitor has one, right? You have a phone, you have a tablet, you have some other wireless form factor that probably impacts the park's experience. Like for better or for worse, what, oh, what do you think? I mean, you know, the, the, the weirdest part of it is 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 in over the past five or six years, the Disney parks, because again, the, the very thing you were talking about, the immersive storytelling, they launched this program um, called Scene One. And the notion was that rather than make guests, I mean, if you think about your classic theme, Disney theme park experience, especially for a super popular attraction, you're spending, say, a half hour or so of that just going back and forth in, in you know, a set of chains trying to make eye, trying not to make eye contact with strangers. <laughs> um, but what Disney decided to do was to try to make this this more engaging. So, for example, what they did with a good chunk of the, the queue of the Haunted Mansion at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom is they created an interactive mausoleum space where you know, for you could touch a, you know, a keys of a, a an organ and, and and play some music, or if you touch a certain you know uh, number of buttons on a, a an old sea captain's uh, you know gravestone, you know water would 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 shoot out. Um, and you know they did something equally elaborate with uh, Peter Pan flight. They created like the children's bedrooms at the Darling House, and you would walk through there, and there'd, there'd be you know you could see Tinkerbell fly from place to place. But just as these were hitting the marketplace was when um, you know the iPhones and you know the the, the you know the the technology the tech Panasonic makes available really took place, you know, really grabbed hold in the marketplace. And to the Imagineers' horror, they had created these incredible interactive spaces, but people were still moving through the spaces looking face down on their phones. And let's be honest here, you know, it, it wasn't that they were being disrespectful. It's like they're on vacation with their families. And so, for example, you're looking at your phone because, well, my daughter wanted to sleep in for an extra hour, and I'm trying to send a message to it to the effect of, hey, we're in line at the Haunted Mansion, please come on over here. Or I'm looking at the photographs I just took, and I'm trying to decide which of them I send to grandma. Um, I mean, the, the way we actually act in the parks was preventing people from enjoying, you know, all the stuff that Disney wow. had spent multi-millions building. Yeah, that's uh, it's an interesting dichotomy. I just, you know, having worked on a few projects with Disney, it was just like, you know, when I was at a previous job, it was kind of like, what do we just do? People are now looking at their devices as opposed to something that they paid a lot of money for right in front of them. And it's probably not, not, not Disney, but, you know, I mean, if that's the here and now then, you know, let's talk about like, you know, 50 years from now. Like, what is, to, to you, what does tech innovation look like you know, for a theme park, like has you know new audiovisual use cases changed the park experience? Well, you know, in a weird sort of way, um, new tech has opened up. I mean, for example, just this past week, uh, we learned about uh, the new Web Slingers, a Spider-Man adventure attraction that'll be opening at uh, the Avengers Campus in Anaheim at Disney's California Adventure. Um, and, and the thing is that the, what's interesting about the tech in this ride is that um, 
you know that, that Disney has figured out uh, using uh, an, an amazing system that basically allows them to track where you're looking in an attraction, also how you're gesturing. So what's interesting is you can sort of flick your hand you know, on the Spider-Man ride, and just like your Spidey, uh, you know, a, a web will shoot out of your hand and, and attack the villain. Um, and, and so, you know, this is sort of an interactive shooting gallery, but moved to the next level. But Disney being Disney, you know, it's, it's not enough to do that. It turns out once you get off the attraction and you look, oh, I got 150,000 points, but I could have gotten a million. Dang. And it's like, well, yeah, you could have gotten a million if you buy this wrist bracelet that you can then wear the next time you go on the attraction that will make your shooting that much more accurate. And all you need to do is pay us $63. And and again, don't get me wrong. I, you know, just uh, Disney is a, a publicly held corporation, uh, and you know, especially after this past you know fifteen, sixteen months of COVID, where well, just in the the most recent quarter, uh, the, the one that ended in January of, of two thousand twenty one, uh, Disney admits that its theme park divisions lost two point eight billion dollars. So. They're looking to recover that money, so of course they're bringing, they're opening new revenue streams. Um, but just the whole notion that um, you know this sort of tech will then be an add-on, so to speak. You know that that you know you've already paid to come into the theme park, but if you want to have an enhanced theme park experience, uh, you know you're, you're going to have to pony up this dough. Um, now, to be fair, um, Disney is doing some amazing high-tech stuff at the Avengers Campus in Anaheim. Uh, for example, this is going to be the park where they're going to debut their Stuntronic. Are, are you aware of these yet, Barry? Or? Oh, no. Okay, the no. gimmick, gimmick of this one is that, um, picture this, you have an audio animatronic that, uh, again, totally wireless, you know, not connected to anything, um, but... You know, it, in an offstage area, you have this this animatronic who's dressed and painted to look exactly like Spider-Man. And what you do is you use the equivalent of a cannon, you know, to fire him in the air. All right. And but the, the thing is, he goes from one offstage area to another offstage area. But in midair, he's over the guests' heads. And in air, wow. he's doing you know, a, a classic trademark, you know it the second you see it, a Spider-Man pose, you know, and, and, and you look up and it's like, that's really Spider-Man flying over my head, swinging through the skies. And it's like, this this level of technology is going to allow them to do that. Um, and and going the exact opposite end, uh, just in, in fact, if you, uh, you Google Baby Groot, uh, Disney just recently, uh, you know, as part of sort of showcasing the technologies that they're soon bringing to the park, they they showed a toddler-sized Groot that literally walked out and inter interacted with guests over at the uh, Disney Parks blog. So, um, you know, a lot of interesting tech coming. Yep. Lots. That's uh, you know, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, hopefully, we're around the next fifty years to see it. And you know, so we, we've talked we've talked a lot about a lot of things. And, you know, that's probably one of the things that, you know, bothers me about the podcast is that, you know, when I get really into a topic with someone that I like, I just, you know, just want to go deep and spend hours, which we can't do. But of all the things that we've talked about, Jim, what is the one thing you'd want our listeners to remember from this discussion? You know, it's kind of a tough question, but, you know, just one. Well, you know, the, the weird thing of it is, is, again, you know, for me, it's always about, 
you know, again, someone will, will develop an amazing piece of technology. Like, take, for example, Disney's Magic Bands, which they debuted, uh, what is it, 2013, thereabouts? And, you know, think about it. You know, that, that anyone who's ever used them at the parks, you use them to get into your hotel room. You use them to get in, you know, to, to enter into the parks. You can, you know, you can use them to do, you know, shopping. Um, but, you know, the, the, uh, the sad part of it is, uh, you know, when the Imagineers talk with me, they talk about, oh, phase two and oh, my God, the next thing we want to do. And the thing about the magic bands is there was, in fact, they tested its berry. Um, uh, you know, the, the idea was, for example, you would go and visit your favorite Disney princess. You'd bring, say, bring your daughter along. And the thing is that prior to your Disney vacation, uh, you would spend some time on the computer. You'd given you know, the how old your daughter was, who her favorite princess was, what the name of your, your family pet was. And so, you know, you get to that meet and greet with the Disney princess. And the thing is that as your child enters the room, in the corner, there's this discrete screen that only the princess can see. It's, you know, uh, kind of a teleprompter. And it's like, oh, Natalie, it's so nice to see you. Oh, you know, that, how was your trip from Youngstown? And who's taking care of Fluffy while you are here with the family? And did you enjoy go, go, going on the carousel earlier today? And it was like, what was fascinating is Disney does these things they call playtests at, at um, Imagineering headquarters out in Glendale, California. And the little kids who took part in this were thrilled. You know, the fact that, you know, Cinderella knows my name. Oh, my God. Where mom and dad are standing in the corner horrified because it's like, how do you how do you know this about our child? You've invaded our, pri you know, our privacy. And it's like, well, you filled out the form on the computer. Do you remember doing that? You know, that's <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I think uh, I'd be appalled too, but you know, it's for a good purpose. And again, I'm in marketing, so I'm impressed. So I, it, let me let me get you one more question, and it's a uh, I'm really interested in what the response is going to be. So, of all the Disney characters, right? This is a change, right? In this question, of all the Disney characters. Which one do you think would most likely run an IT department oh, and why? Oh, well, for me, there's no question. It's Dr. Bunsen Honeydew. All right. You know, said, in fact, if, if you think about your, your standard IT department and how the, the employees there get, get, get abused, <laughs> you know, Beaker right off the bat. So, no, it's Bunsen. It's Beaker. It's, you know, and, and working impossible hours and delivering things that, don't quite work, but but again, like the the magic bands and the you know the the the, the scene ones, you know, eventually you get it right, you know. So I love the answer, and I'm not going to expand on it because I have an IT department and they they know oh, where well. I live. <laughs> but uh, I, I love <laughs> I love the answer. Uh, another question: What do you love about your job? What I love about well, there's two things I love about my job. Uh, one is that typically when I get up in the morning. I don't know what necessarily I'm going to be writing about. You know that that you know that that I, I work on. You know I we do a number of different podcasts about the Walt Disney Company, but Disney is so dynamic that each day you know a, a new story breaks. Like just today, we got our first teaser trailer and poster for Marvel's The Eternals, and then it's a question of okay, this is you know part of you know uh, the MCU launching Phase Four, and how did this work? Um, at the same time, what's also great about my job is. I'm allowed to say, I don't know. 
You know, I mean, it just, it's, you know, for example, when somebody says, hey, you know, how does the Eternals factor into, you know, what Disney's plan for the future is? And it's just sort of like, don't know, but I can hammer on Google, I can do my homework, I can pull out books, magazines, and by the end of the day, I'll have an answer for you. So, you know, just the fact that I can just not know and then go off and learn. Yeah, I can tell you, you like your job and hopefully you've liked your job for the last 35 years. And it shows. And, uh, you know, it makes me happy. It puts a smile on my face. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, we're, you know, the part I don't like is saying we're, we're almost out of time, Jim. But, you know, I, I want to thank you for being on the show. Oh, Would you absolutely. come back? I mean, you know, the, this, is, this is Disney. You know, the, the, they're a global corporation. There's a lot to talk about. <laughs> well, we appreciate having you. And, you know, for our listeners... You know, as usual, uh, the ask is if you enjoyed the podcast, didn't enjoy the podcast, or just have ideas to make us better, you know, please visit our feed on iTunes to rate, review, or subscribe. Or if you're listening on Spotify, be sure to hit follow. You know, we want your feedback no matter what. And uh, that's it for us on another episode of The Big Rethink. Until next time, I'm Barry Ross. <laughs>